Hey guys, and welcome to the Alabama Freshwater Fishing Report, presented by Great Days Outdoors Magazine. The first podcast to bring you the local fishing report for Alabama's lakes and rivers, whether it's good, bad, or ugly. I'm your host, Nick Williams, and this week's show is brought to you by Great Days Outdoors Magazine. Are you frustrated by your typical hunting and fishing magazines? Are you tired of reading content meant for guys up north or in the Midwest? Don't get left behind following the guidance of guys who don't hunt and fish in your home state. Pick up a Great Days Outdoors magazine subscription and become a better southern outdoorsman. Great Days Outdoors magazine can be found at your local Books A Million, Tractor Supply Company, Rural King, or you can save and buy online at greatdaysoutdoors.com. All right, guys, I hope everybody had an awesome 4th of July weekend. I know it's been hot. We was looking at heat index of, I think, like 120 or something last week. So kind of made things a little bit rough, but we're fixing to check in with everybody and see how people are beating the heat this summer. For our first guest, we're going to be talking with Ken Bearden up on the Chattahoochee River system. Ken, how you doing today, brother? I'm doing good. Just uh, dodging these thunderstorms every day. Yeah. Dude, the weather here for the past couple of weeks has been brutal. If it hasn't been blowing trees over in my yard, the heat index has just been outrageous. Um, I think it was like yeah. 98 degrees yesterday down here. <laughs> you look out, I look out yeah. at the lake in my backyard and the water's bubbling. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they have the fireworks show and everything here, you know, on the water. And um, I, there's so many boats out there yesterday. I, I just, I stayed home, and, and, you know, and just cleaned my boat and um, checked everything on it and uh, cleaned my motor and got that's, all the water stains and crap like that off of it. So that that's it. Yeah. I know I'm I'm the same way. Uh, Fourth of July, Memorial Day weekend, all that. I don't. People are like, you going out this weekend? It's like, heck no. I'm not getting out there at all. Them yahoos. Well, <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you sit there for an hour at the boat ramp, you know, just trying to get in, and then another hour trying to get out. So yeah, and and then man, like I was out, out a couple nights ago, uh, frog gigging. So I went Saturday, and I didn't think about it being Fourth of July weekend, and. Even at night, I guess just more people get out there on the water. There was a few people that was out there setting off fireworks or watching fireworks at the boat ramp down here. I don't know about where you're at, but we start setting off fireworks first of July and we'll be setting them off mm-hmm. until they run out, until they deplete their supply there at the gas station fireworks stand. But, uh, man, there's people running around without lights or sitting there shining the, the high beams up in your eye. You know, you're riding up the river and you just can't see, you know, it just looks like the spirit mm-hmm. of the Lord descending upon you on the water. You just see <laughs> just white light. So yeah, the 4th yeah. of July crowd is, uh, they're having a good time and I'm glad they're having a good time, but I'm, I'm with you. I'll stay, I'll stay home and get ready. So, uh, but yeah. how, how's everything been? I know, since the last time we did the podcast, we've had this big heat wave come down. And how how has your success been with it being this hot? Has anything changed for you? Oh, it, it's actually getting better. Uh, our mayfly hatch ended, and um, these fish, once they leave that mayfly hatch, um, they get to following the blueback heron. Uh, we got we got blueback heron in our lake now, and they roam in open water, and so <clears throat> they get really hard fine for a few weeks after that mayfly hatch. But uh, once it starts getting hot and the weather gets, I mean, the water temperature gets on up, uh, they they tend to start 
locking down on the brush piles and the road beds and the big long points and stuff like that. So West Point Lake is a highland reservoir. So you can run, you know, you don't have to stay like in the channel. You can just run. The only thing you got to watch for is the long points that stick out. And everywhere there's long points, there's a white show marker. There's a, there's a big old white PVC uh, pipe sticking up, marked by the Corps of Engineers. And that tells you not to run between that white pole and the bank that that point runs out. So that's basically all you got to do is, is stay, you know, out from in the, away from those white poles and not run between the pole and the bank. But that's where you fish are at right now. They're, um, most of those white poles, if you, you'll back off from them, so you're, you're, you're getting deeper into the river channel. You know, you set in 25 feet and cast towards that pole and the pole will be about, you know, four to six feet deep right around that pole. So, and somewhere between you and that pole, there's normally a brush pile. They, they, a lot of guys put brush piles out. And so we've been catching a lot of fish off those brush piles like that with a football head jig, just any kind of brown looking jig with a zoom speed crawl on it. I took a uh, a guy and his son out last week. Uh, they were up here from Tampa, Florida. They were on vacation, wanted to go fishing. So we we met at the boat ramp there, and uh, I, I really wasn't sure how the day was going to go because it hadn't been going very good because the, those bass had left that mayfly hatch and they were out roaming and stuff. But um, it actually turned out really good. We caught fish. All of our bass were caught on on the, on the jig, uh, out on those long points with the brush piles, and um, they bit good. They had, and they had to bite good because the gentleman was not him or his son. They were not. Uh, they didn't fish a lot. You know, it's one of them deals where you know I had them spinning rods hooked up, and every time the the father would cast, I thought he was going to go in with the rod. You know. <laughs> Yeah, is uh, and he would, and the way he would work his bait, I mean, it's just uh, he was just almost it never, it would never even get to the bottom. He would just like pull it up and wind it down, pull it up, wind it down. You know, and we're sitting in 22 feet, throwing up in about 12 to 14. Right. I'm telling him, you know, let it, let it get to the bottom and just, just drag it real slow, you know. But he just, he just couldn't do it. You know, I, I've learned after a while, just let him do it, you know. Yeah. It turns out, you know, he, he caught most of the bass, you know, between really? him and his son. Now, I could throw a pair and catch them, but that's not my job. My job is to make sure they can catch them. And right. Yeah, he he caught like 11. His son caught maybe four, and um, they had a great time. Uh, and and then we also, during the day, I stopped on a, on a, uh, on a road bed, and the top of the road bed is 22 feet. And uh, I kept seeing fish, so I had I tried them on a couple of jigging spoons, dropped down there, and we caught some hybrid, and they were all pound and a half up to about two and a half pounds, somewhere in that in that range. Uh, we also snagged a blueback heron with a jigging spoon, so and that heron was about it was about five inches long. So I hate I hate to interrupt you and cut you off, but that's the first I've heard of blueback heron. What can you tell me more about those? Is that kind of is that like a shad, just like a schooling forage species, or? Well, the bluebacks, um, 
they were landlocked in the Savannah River system, which borders Georgia and South Carolina, which makes Clarks Hill and Hartwell and Kiwi uh, reservoirs. And they would come out of the ocean and come up that river and spawn and then go back to the ocean. And when they built the dam, they got locked into Clarks Hill. I think that was the first one that they built. And they're very high in protein and fatty acids. And the fish just blow up like footballs. I mean, they, they, they're really uh, they're probably the best food for a bass to eat. And the stripers love them, everything, everything loves them. But the best thing about them is they, they make the fish fat, you know. And um, so they were, in, they were in the Savannah River system, I don't know how many years, you know, 50 plus years probably. Right. And, the, and a friend of mine that lives on Lake Lanier, they were so frustrated with the fishing on Lanier because they could go out there and fish all day and, and they might catch, you know, three or four, five, maybe spotted bass that weigh a pound and a half. They were lucky if they caught a two pounder, you know. But they could drive 45 minutes over to Lake Hartwell and there'd be four or five pound largemouth schooling on these herring. I mean, this schooling was unbelievable, you know. And so they all got together and, um, they went over there with throw, throw nets and, and tanks, minute, big, big minute tanks, and, and called those herring and put them in Lake Lanier. And if you go on and look at the spotted bass that they're catching on Lake Lanier, they're like, I mean, six pounders are common. Right. And it's all, and their bellies just, I mean, that, their picks explode. And, and then the, the DNR got mad about them moving those herring. And so that's when they popped up on the invasive species list. I don't think they were on, they weren't on the invasive species list before that. Hmm. They were, they lived in the, in the Savannah river system with the large mouth and the spots and the catfish and the brim. There was no problem. Right. As soon as those guys moved them, they popped up on the invasive species list. And hmm. then they started stocking stripers to try to eat them out. Right. They claim that the DNR claimed that they eat bass eggs and they eat bass fry. Well, if that was so, they would have never been a bass in in Clark's Hill because they were landlocked in there from the beginning, you know? Right. Um, That's to interesting. To me, it's just an excuse. It's just an excuse for them to stock stripers and hybrids <laughs> and all that stuff. But, you know? Right. Everywhere they put them, the bass fishing gets better. Lake Lanier is probably the number one spot of the bass the lake in probably in the country. And some of that is because of the Coosa spot, because a lot of guys brought Coosa spots back over and turned them loose in there, and they bred with those spots that live there. And then you add in the blueback heron to their diet. So, yeah, you got one of the best spotted bass fishers in, in, in the country right there. But uh, they, they, the fishermen just kept moving them. They moved them to Carter's Lake and all these other northern lakes. Well, they eventually ended up down here in West Point. And, yeah, our spotted bass went from being a pound and a half to being, you know, three and a quarter. I mean, it's unbelievable how, much, how big the fish. And even Smith Lake in Alabama, there was a gentleman that 
got some and, and, and took them over there and turned them loose in Smith Lake. And I mean, and they, they arrested the guy and gave him a fine for doing that. And I'm looking at it thinking, man, they could, they should have gave the guy a key to the city, you know? Because right. now everybody wants to go to Smith Lake and fish for the spotted bass. That's that's really I mean, interesting. The, the amount of revenue that, that that those those herring being in the lake brings in is unbelievable. You know, you got fishermen that are moving there just just because they want to be around that sort of fishing. You know, and they're they're going on through. They you know they're they're coming down. If you look at the the bass fishing even below. Smith Lake on the Warrior River. So those things, you know, they'll, they'll go through the dam, and, you know, and, and they'll pop up in the lake below there. And I've noticed since the heron got in Smith Lake how it changed the fishing below the dam in the Warrior River. I mean, they're, they're catching monster bass down there now. It's unbelievable. Hmm. So, yeah, blueback heron is... They're they're a they're a blessing, and then every once in a while they're a curse too because they like to roam in the open water, and the fish is, the fish will just follow. Them. They'll follow them as long as they can keep up with them. They will follow them, and when they're following them in that open water, unless they're busting them on top, they're really hard to find. You know, I'm I'm adding live scope to my a Garmin live scope unit uh, on my boat this week and it's just for that for finding seeing those fish that are up high you know because right now i'm limited to with my down image and and sonar to just seeing what's straight under my boat now i can pan out and see those fish out there that are three or four feet under the water around bait fish and stuff like that hmm. so well that's interesting and that's i've, I've won yeah and uh I've won a lot of tournaments, you know, like if I find a heron floating on top of water that a fish has spit up or he, he chewed him up and didn't get him all the way and he got away or something. I've won, I've, weighed, I've weighed in some big stringers just by finding a heron like that and then start fishing in that area, fishing the points, the drops, the road beds or whatever, and, and, and finding a school of fish there and if I come across one like that, I'm I'm going to search out that whole area right there because th- there'll be a big school of fish somewhere falling around those herring. I like the spoon. I I, I use a a nine inch spoon all the way down to a three inch spoon. It just it just depends, you know. Right on those herring. And well, would you um, recommend this weekend, folks heading out on the water? It sounded like earlier you was talking about a little football jig, uh, dragging it across the bottom, almost like a crawfish imitation. Would would you recommend for folks this weekend? You think they should do what y'all were doing, you know, last time that you went out and and get on those points and drag bottom, or you think they should throw a spoon, or what? What would be your advice for this weekend? Yeah, this weekend. Uh, so there is a number you can call to find out when they're generating water, mm-hmm. and so yeah, that's going to be your prime time. And it's getting the water temperature is getting hot enough to pull these fish out and the the highway 109 bridge and the railroad trussle if they're pulling water it's creating current around those bridge pylons and uh, those fish are coming to those it's that time of year where they're coming to those pylons so you can get that number and find out when when they're generating you're that's a big plus on catching fish around around those places and then 
there's a lot of hybrids that are schooling in the afternoon from six o'clock all the way to nine o'clock. You know, we're on Eastern time. So we went out last week one afternoon and we got there uh, a little bit before seven and they were already blowing up on top. It just, it was probably an acre of them out there just blowing up like piranhas on top of the water. And with those, I, the best thing to do is take a half ounce Cordell or either a War Eagle spoon in the nickel color and just throw it in the middle of them and, and wind it a couple of times, let it fall, wind it a couple of times, let it fall, and you'll get hooked up really quick. So a, lot, a lot of these big, long points that stick out, the further back closer to the bank it gets, the flatter it gets, and it actually creates a little flat up there. And in the afternoons, the, those hybrids, they'll migrate towards those points with those big flats, and uh, they'll come up there, and they'll just push the shad up there. And once they get them on top of that little flat area, it's, it's game on. They they will start schooling and busting those things like crazy. And if you got kids that, or someone who's not got a lot of fishing experience, I mean, that that is a great way to get them hooked right there is take them out and catch those those fish that are busting and if you're a more advanced type of fisherman you don't care anything about the hybrids uh fishing the big long shoal points uh with a with a football head jig and a big crankbait a texas rig a carolina rig that's that's going to be your best bet for for catching largemouth right now awesome well that's some some good tips because that'll get people started ken if people wanted to uh to to hear more about you where'd be a good place to find you uh, just go on KenBeardenFishing.com, and uh, you can send me an email through that. Now, if you're a veteran, I run a nonprofit for veterans. So it's, it's free free for veterans. We don't charge them anything. They can, they can go on uh, our website, VFO, which stands for Veterans Fishing Organization, VFOHome.org, and they can sign up. And uh, I'll contact them back. And we'll I'll get my calendar. We'll set up a date. And I also go to Lake Weedowie in Alabama. So if they're an Alabama resident, they don't have to buy a Georgia license. They can fish there or either if they're from the southern part of Alabama, the, the south end, the west point, uh, will accept uh, Alabama or Georgia license. So, you know, we can fish on the lower end, the west point, or either we can fish at Weedowie. But it's free of charge for our veterans. We we just get donations, uh, have little fundraisers, things like that, and um, that way our veterans don't have to uh, pay. So I average sixty to eighty trips a year with one-on-one trips, just me and a veteran. And sometimes they bring a family member or either another veteran. And um, and then I do two events a year where I have groups of veterans come. And groups of volunteers, we have food catered in, we have trophies, we have draw prizes, and uh, we had our April event here in West Point. We'll have our fall event on uh, Lake Weedowie, and usually have it at the end of September. So you can go on uh, vfohome.org and sign up, and I contact you, and you, you say, hey, I'd like to be a part of this uh, event you're going to have. I'll I'll put you down and we'll get you scheduled for that. Or if you want to just go out on a fishing trip, uh, we'll get you put down for that too. Well, there we go for all our veterans out there. That's, that's a, uh, 
timely interview to have have you on here, Ken, right here at Fourth of July week. So all of our veterans out there, be sure to go check out Ken's organization. And Ken, I definitely appreciate you taking the time to talk with me today, brother. Yes, sir. I appreciate you calling me. Hey, yes, sir. You be good and stay cool. Yes, sir. Y'all be safe on the war. All right, guys. Let's take a quick break and hear from one of this week's sponsors. This week's episode of the Alabama Freshwater Fishing Report is brought to you by Crocodile Bay. Costa Rica is not just a legendary fishing and vacation destination. At Crocodile Bay, it's much more than that. They deliver inshore and offshore fishing expeditions to meet the highest expectations, adventures that other resorts wouldn't dare dream of and couldn't dare offer. With the largest fishing fleet in Costa Rica, they create custom angling packages for anglers of all experience levels and all fantasies. They run a fleet of meticulously maintained 24-foot Boston whalers and 33-foot strike tower boats, and they will customize a trip to meet and exceed your expectations. Check them out at crocodilebay.com to book your dream trip today. All right, guys, welcome back for our next segment. I'm talking with Alex Davis off of Lake Gunnersville. How are you doing today, Alex? Doing good. How are you? I cannot complain, man. I'm sitting in the air conditioning, so life is good. I hear you. Yeah, it's kind of uh, it's sticky outside. That's the best way to put it, sticky. Man, it, it's just been, this is the hottest summer I can remember in recent memory, and it and I knew it was going to be because we had a really good long spring. Like, it took a while to heat up, but man, once it did, it heated up with a vengeance this past couple of weeks. Yeah, the last few years, we haven't really had a summer that I've seen at Gunnersville. We haven't really had a hot, hot summer. You know, you get some days of warm, but you don't get that consecutive streak of it. And I, I have a feeling this year we're going to, our luck's going to come to an end. Yeah, it has come to an end down here. Our water temperatures, I was out last week in a creek and uh, on the main lake, the surface temperature was like 90 degrees. And even getting up in that little creek with that cool, you know, spring water coming in on it, the water temperature was still up in the 80s. I mean, it's just hot, muggy, nasty. So has it been a, it, has it been affecting the fishing up there? Have you noticed the heat kind of changing their pattern any on you? Well, for us, it was like the beginning of last week, water was 80, 81 degrees in there somewhere. So that's, it was kind of on par, you know, we was on track for normal. And then all of a sudden, here it comes. And it went from 80 to like 86. And I saw it slow down, which, you know, it's, it's, it's not real great for guide trips when it slows down where it's not the all day bite, but uh, it seems like it's more first thing in the morning, you know, first two and a half, three hours. And then you'll get like a, you know, if you fish, I was trying to, I was doing double trips. So I was doing like one trip in the morning and you get like two, two and a half hours, pretty decent. And then it would kind of fall off and then it would get back going again. We'd have a trip in the afternoon, you know, you'd start, it'd be kind of slow. And then about probably five thirty, action starts picking up. Now, if we have the one good thing we have is we have ledges and that can produce some really good fishing. The problem is it's all dependent on current. That's hundred percent current deal. If you don't have current ledge biting going to be really great. And we haven't, for some reason, even though it's hot, they're not pulling in the afternoon. I think they're pulling a lot at nighttime. I've talked to them before and they say that it's to cool their generators. If they, if they pull at nighttime, it's easier on their, whatever they're doing in their dam. It's better for them to pull at night, which good for them. Horrible for us fishermen. I can say that. Yeah. 
Well, what have uh, what have you been doing to be to be successful with with the heat? If the ledge bite's not hot, where have you been finding them there first thing in the morning and in the evenings? Uh, grass. We have so much grass, eel grass. Uh, there's a little hydro. There's some eel fall. Um, we have just a kind of a plethora of grass. It's better to target that. You either want like something different. That's what I tell people on the guide trips. You just want something different. Either that be holes in the grass or an edge, you know, a straight hard edge, either on the inside of it or on the outside, which inside edge is going to be like three to five foot. Mm-hmm. And then your outside of your edge is going to be in that like 12 or 10 to 13 foot. So you just kind of have to figure out, you know, what are they on? If Are they on the deeper grass? Are they on the shallower edges or they're in holes of it? You just, mainly the thing is just something different because there's so much grass. It's not, you know, you could, you actually, people get overwhelmed when you just tell them, I'll just go fish grass. Cause it's like, Oh, okay. That's like saying go fish the whole lake. So <laughs> it's always something different. Um, uh, as far as lure wise, uh, if they're, if you get a day where it's cloudy, overcast, got some wind, you know, they'll do more chasing. So you can catch more on like a chatterbait or vibrating jig. If it's sunny, which it's been, that's how it's been. Uh, you know, I throw a bit called an X zone, a, a blitz worm. It's just a big ribbon tail worm. Uh, any kind of red, purple colors, you know, red bug, plum, any variation of that. Uh, and just put it on a lightweight sinker and you're just, you know, hopping it out of the grass. You just want the, the tail does all the action for you. So all you got to do is just let it go in the grass, hop it out and let the tail do all the work. And that's been the, the most consistent as far as you're getting bit consistently and you catch a lot of small ones. And then next thing you know, like the other yesterday is Monday going 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 you know small one small one kind of slow small one two to you know two pounder three pounder three pounder two pounder and then all of a sudden guy catches a five pounder uh so that's by far the most consistent if you're just trying to get bites but the deep is where that's when you hit the home runs that's where you hit the grand slam you know you can pull up on a place and you we had wide one trip last week where they seemed to start pulling water about 12 o'clock and i think from 12 to one and we had right at 25 pounds we caught six off of a place and we had 25 pounds so that you know the weight weight wise was really good didn't catch a lot of numbers off of it but weight wise was very very good yeah that's that's a really good weight down here something that's always a little sad for me here on the delta is a. Uh, I was looking they had a tournament at a live oak landing here around the corner from my house and i think first place five fish uh it was like a 12 point something pound limit five five fish limit <laughs> so it's a it's a different world up there on gunnersville so yeah it, it ours will slow down here soon um it seems like right now it's still taking a bunch i think they had an evening tournament the other night took like 18 pounds in three yeah and then i had a sunday day tournament I took it i think it took 18 pounds in three i think to get a check was like 15 so i mean those weights are you know that's that's incredible weights to me it just seems it always will slow down. So the next few weeks, you know, you'll start seeing the weight go down. Like three fish will be like 13 pounds instead of that 18 pounds. Uh, and that's just a lot. Fishing pressure gets to them. Heat gets to them. And, you know, just it's the dog days of summer. Sure. What's, what's some other challenges that, that that summer brings just for you fishing regularly? I know one, just you staying cool is tough. I know uh, what do people need to watch out for if they're out there on that, you know, 120 degree heat index day fishing that 90 degree water i think the one thing i see most is uh 
you know, dressing people, you know, so everyone has their own opinion. Some people, they have pants on and, you know, the long sleeve shirts and they have buffs and uh, gloves, you know, they don't, they don't want, they get any kind of sun. Um, and I don't know who's cooler, that guy or the guy who's just in shorts and a t-shirt who uses sunscreen. I can't, I don't, I don't know. I've tried both and I don't really think one is cooler than the other one. You don't get the the sun on you, but the other one, you, I think you feel cooler, but you're getting baked by the sun all the time. Uh, but I think the number one thing is just drinking plenty of fluid. I get a lot of uh, clients that I, you know, I, I, I got all the water. I mean, we have gallons of water on the boat and I tell people, yeah, you want water? And they said, no, I'm good. And it seems like if they, tr- it's hard to fish eight hours this time of year, but when they want to try to do it, if they don't stay hydrated after about four hours, I think they start feeling kind of puny. Yeah. So my, I guess my number one tip is if you want to go fish in the summer, you know, drink a lot of water. I don't really, you know, Gatorade, Powerade's good. It has a lot of salt in it. Uh, so sometimes I think that's adverse than anything like uh, Pedialyte. I know they make like a Gator Lite. You know, a lot of companies make stuff to put electrolytes back in. But that and water, I think, is the best thing you can do. How about how about taking care of your fish? I know I've been seeing here at my local waterways, you see more bass floating around the uh the landings you see more in the little duck ponds people have i got a buddy up in warrior that sent me pictures of a big big for his pond you know he had like a four pound bass that that you know was belly up uh with a bluegill sticking out of its mouth you know like it got stuck in his throat and and seems like stuff like that happens more in the heat and you see people lose more fish in the live well you got any tips for keeping your fish in good shape in your live well yeah, if you're going to put them in the live, well, I try to tell people that if you're doing it for pictures, try not to do it this time of year. The fish are just so, they're, they just really, really stress out this time of year. So if you're just trying to take pictures, just, you know, catch one, take a picture of it, release it there. Don't don't try to get like a group photo. It's just bad on the fish, which is bad on the fishery uh, for years to come. I know gunners will have a down cycle and we're finally on the uphill swing of it. So, you know, we're reaping the benefits of really good fishing. But a few years ago, it was pretty, pretty tough here and don't know what caused it. But if you're, you know, if you're going to fish tournament, you have to put them alive. Well, I understand that. I, I do that for a living. So I get it. The main thing is you want to run your aerators all day long. You don't want to put them on uh, a low timer like you would in the winter time. And in the winter time, you can put them on a low timer and they're fine. Uh, but this time of year, you want, you know, I usually fill the live wells up and then I put it on recirculate. I add ice. I add uh, TH Marine makes G juice, put G juice in it. I have an oxygenator from TH Marine. It's putting pure oxygen in the water. So between G juice, ice, uh, your aerators full bore all the time and an oxygenator, I don't have any problems, but it's, it's, uh, it, it costs a pretty decent amount of money just to, you know, if you're going to buy G juice and buy ice, it costs probably 20 bucks in a day to have that much ice on board all the time. I mean, you don't realize it, but you can put like a 10 pound bag of ice in the live well and it cools the water off really good. But if you'll like, I got a, uh, my Ranger, it actually has a thermometer in the live well, so I can monitor the live well temperature water at all times. And when you put a 10 pound bag of ice, it drops roughly about six or seven degrees from the lake temperature, which is about perfect. But as the day goes on, even though you put ice in there, it gets the, you know, the water gets back warmer uh, just because that sun is beating on your live well lids. So it's like baking your live well lids. So it brings the, you know, the water temperature back up. So you have to add ice probably two or three times a day. 
I carry a, a little like uh, what your wife would have uh, to go to the grocery store to put cold items in and bring them home. I actually carry one of them and just fill it up with ice, and I just add ice to them throughout the day. Uh, and that's I've had no problems. I used to lose a lot of fish in tournaments, or not a lot, but it seemed like you know one every tournament when it was hot, and that's just unacceptable to lose. You know, every once in a while you hook one on the tongue, you're going to lose one, but to lose one every day that that's on you. That's not on anything else. So juice ice and just you know keep a monitor on them and they they'll they'll be all right well good deal i think i think that's some good tips for keeping you and the fish cool this summer what uh what would be your recommendations if somebody wanted to go out there this weekend and, and catch a few bass you got anything super super specific for them that you'd try first i would try uh shimano makes a world pop it's like a popper style bait i would try that first thing in the morning you know the first hour try to catch some on top water uh, and then after that, I just go to the worm. That that just gets you consistent bites. You don't have to be, you know, a, a graph master, or a ledge master, or electronics guru. You know, you can just go out there and have some fun and get some bites. I got you. And uh, if somebody wanted to go out and, and book a trip with you, where would be a good place to reach out to you? At? Uh, you can look me up on uh, spinnerbaitkid.com. That's my guide website. Also, I've done started doing uh, fishing reports on YouTube. Uh, it's Alex Davis. So you can check out my YouTube. I got fishing reports on there weekly. You can check out uh, my spinnerbait kid guide site. And that has all the info as far as rates and times and, you know, what to expect. So uh, that's, that's how you look me up. I got Instagram, Facebook, it, uh, most of them is Alex Davis fishing. And you can follow along for all the Gunnersville fish catches. There we go. Well, Alex, I appreciate you being on the podcast. And guys, y'all be sure to check them out if y'all want to get up there and do some bass fishing up on Gunnersville. Thanks, sir. Yes, sir. You have a good one. Stay cool out there. You too. All right, guys, that wraps up another great segment. Y'all take a minute and check out some of the businesses that keep this show free for you. This episode has been brought to you by Hilton's Real-Time Navigator. The days of heading out and blindly looking for good fishing areas are pretty much over. Don't waste time and money on fuel searching for fish. You need the recent highest resolution images to not only know where to go, but where not to go. The knowledge provided by today's technology is critical when planning an offshore fishing trip. Make the choice that professional captains all over the Gulf make and choose Hilton's Real-Time Navigator. The easy-to-use interface and excellent customer service will have you on the fish every time you go. Check it out at hiltonsoffshore.com. Also brought to you by Bucks Island. Bucks Island is a family-owned and operated business since 1948. They have new pontoon boats, bass boats, bow riders, and aluminum boats for sale. They love trade-ins for boats and motors. They can rig your boat or ship your new motor anywhere in the United States. They provide boat service on all kinds of boats, even if they weren't purchased from Bucks. They have factory trained and certified technicians. Visit them at 4500 Highway 77, Southside, Alabama, 35907 zip code, or give them a call at 256-442-2588. All right, guys, we are back, and this time we are talking with Joseph Harris. How are you doing today, Joseph? Good, sir. How are you? I'm doing well, just sitting here trying to stay cool a little bit. Hear that? It's really hot now. It is. It has been terrible. Everybody's been complaining about the heat. Uh, did you catch any good fireworks this this holiday? Actually, I didn't didn't go this time. It was so hot. Um, I stood on my porch, and I can actually see the fireworks from Jordan Dam from my front porch. Oh, that's perfect, man. You can sit there and get you a little little cold drink and step in the air conditioning when that's it's right. bad. There we go. I know it was, we was frog gigging and, uh, man, it was hot at 11 o'clock at night. And I looked it up and it was still like 86 degrees at midnight. It's just been brutally hot this past week. But, uh, 
you you got mentioned as somebody who kind of knows how to beat the heat uh you know a, a really good kayak angler kind of getting up in some of them backwater creeks up there on the cahaba and the goose so tell me uh tell me about some of that man yeah that's mostly what i really like to do uh I started kayak fishing years ago, and that was one of the reasons is you can get in those places that you can't get with a bass boat or, you know, a bigger boat with a motor. If you're willing to get out and walk through some of the shoals, drag through some of that cooler water, which is great this time of year because it really cools you off to walk in spring-fed creeks that are a whole lot cooler than, a, say, fishing on the main lake somewhere. Um, so it's a good way to cool off and still catch a bunch of fish. For sure, yeah, that, that small, clear, spring-fed water is a lot different. I know down here, uh, you know, the surface temperatures right now, it's going to be 80, even 90 degrees in some areas. And I know I had, I guess it's been two weekends back, me and a buddy, we could not catch fish to save our lives. And we finally popped up in one of those creeks like you were talking about. I got a little 14-foot John boat, and we had just enough room if I raised a trolling motor all the way up where it was about to cavitate you could get up in there and man we got on we got on really good fish i mean just all of a sudden we were sitting there sight fishing you know nothing huge but we were catching a little one two pound bass catching chain pickerel catching catfish in the deeper holes and it, it was completely different it was like you had wound the clock back to turkey season you know and the water was cool the bugs weren't as bad it was just a whole different experience so i'm all about the small creek fishing it is. It's, it's, it's really fun, too. You can get up in some of these. You find a lot of clearer creeks, a lot of these spring-fed creeks, and it is almost just like sight fishing. There's lots of days you can go up there and you can see the bass that you're casting to, whether you're fly fishing or using traditional tackle. Um, you can almost just call it at times. Absolutely. Well, tell me some about your uh, your kayak, because we don't, we don't have a lot of kayak anglers uh, here on the podcast and i've honestly i've fished out of small boats canoes and kayaks but i've never been serious about it and i've never had a designated kayak fishing boat so uh what what kind of hole are you having and, and how do you get it set up um, well i have currently i have um two kayaks but the one i mostly fish out of is a uh, jackson cuda hd you could probably do two or three shows on different types of kayaks which ones are better for fishing the mine is really set up for fishing. It has a lot of like gear track kind of things on there where you can put rod holders, things like that. Mine has rod storage tubes at the front where you can protect the tips of your rods, like especially for the types of fishing I do where you go up in small creeks, you have to get out and drag up shoals, down rocks, that kind of stuff. So you want to have your rod stay in the kayak as much as possible so that tip doesn't get out and get hung on something and break. I think for overall fishing, you want something that's light enough that you can drag up those shoals. Kayaks come anywhere from, you know, 50 or 60 pounds up to somewhere over 100 pounds for the bigger Hobies, things like that. Um, the one I have is about 80 pounds, so it's it's a good, you know, mid-size type kayak for that. I can drag it up the hill. I can drag it through a shoal. It's also wide enough that I can – it's very stable. I don't have to worry about turning over. Um, for fishing, um, you want that quite a bit. I run down rapids like here on the lower Coosa. And in some of the other creeks that have bigger shoals, the drops, like Hatchet Creek, um, those kind of places, you feel safe going down those, not worrying about turning over. You feel safe fighting fish. Um, having a five-pound spot pulling you around in a kayak is a lot of fun. Um, but you can get pulled into some bad situations, uh, into trees, strainers that are hanging out over the creek, things like that. So you want a stable kayak, which is pretty much anything over, say, 32 inches, 30, 32 inches, at least that wide. But it's fun, and 
once you get used to kayaking, it, you forget all about the worrying about the turning over part. <laughs> I was going to say 32 inches. That ain't that bad. My John boat's a, a 1436. So that's a, uh, that's a pretty big, wide, stable kayak. How many, uh, how many rods do you usually take when you go fishing and what kind of gear are you taking? I know you don't have, I don't have a lot of room in my boat. I mean, a 1436 is really a one man boat and there's not a lot of difference between it and a kayak. And I know I'm usually stuck. If I get more than three or four rods and a, and a cooler and a tackle box in there, I kind of start feeling a little claustrophobic up in there. What kind of gear are you bringing and how are you organizing it? Well, it really depends on um, where I'm going to go. If I'm going to a small creek, you know, like say, Hatchet Creek, we'll use that for example. It's it's not that big, but it's wide enough that you don't have to worry about you're not under trees the whole time. You have some open area in the middle. Um, I use a box, like a tackle crate, where you have two rod holders on it. And most of the fishing kayaks, like mine, already have two built-in rod holders. But normally for something like that, I'll bring maybe three rods, three or four rods, a few bait catching rods, and at least one spinning rod. I'd also do some fly fishing, so if I'm going to do if I'm going to bring my fly rods, then I'll, I'll have a three-weight and a five-weight that I use on the smaller creeks. I'll usually just bring one of those, one or the other, and uh, a couple of regular rods, a spinning rod and a bait casting rod. Uh, for tackle, you want to, you know, if you're going to be going down smaller areas like that where you're going to have to get out and drag, then you want to, of course, have as light a load as you can. So instead of bringing five Plano boxes and a big spinnerbait bag, Sometimes I'll just bring a small tackle bag and put what I think is necessary, some soft plastics, some top water, spinner baits, and then, of course, flies. If you're going to do fly fishing, you want to have plenty of those. So I try and carry it as light as possible, where if I'm going to be spending like a longer day on a big body of water like the Tallapoosa or the Coosa, then I'll probably bring my tackle box with all of my um, like three or four 3,700 box boxes you know plano boxes a spinnerbait bag and then a miscellaneous bag full of plastics and then hooks and weights kind of things and it's another small box and then tackle bags i tell you what i i got one after me and my wife started fishing together and we started i eased her into it with bank fishing you know bait fishing off the bank and you know something easy where you could bring a cooler and you know have you some cold drinks and some chicken salad sandwiches and all that and i bought one of those tackle right. bags with the two backpack straps and once i got used to using it man that's the way to go like to have something where you can just take one bag and walk with it through the woods to your little local bass pond or walk through the park or you can throw it on your boat a buddy's boat kayak then the bags are nice very nice and this one the one that i got you can put your bottle of water in it you got a pocket for your sunglasses and it's really nice it's just a lot different from the old green and tan plano that i had when i first started back when i was a kid and for kayak fishing is something else that's very important is it's something that you'll be able to strap down in case you were to roll over uh, you want to be able to strap as much of your equipment down as possible have like bungee cords, things like that, where you can, and say a, like a, just a tie down strap where you can tie something down. If you, before you go down a rapid, you want to be able to, you know, lash everything down as much as possible. That way, if it was to turn over, you can turn it back up and still have all your gear. You see a lot of guys that don't do that and they'll lose all of their fishing tackle when they don't think they're going to turn over, but they will turn over eventually and uh, <laughs> they'll lose a bunch of gear. I can, I can testify that, uh, I, I do a lot of hunting out of a canoe, using it to access some some spots that don't get hunted as much. And I've been canoeing 
gosh, forever doing it seriously since I was in college. I've had, you know, years in my life where just depending on what my work schedule was and everything where I could literally go every day. And I've, I've gone periods every day for months at a time and you get cocky after a certain point, you know, you're like, oh, I'm not going to tip. I'm not going to roll. I know what I'm doing. And I've rolled twice in the past right. 10 years. And both times that I rolled, I, I ended up fishing for gear that I really didn't feel like fishing for that day. It's never a good feeling to have, you know, seven, $800 worth of deer rifle <laughs> that, that right. you're feeling for with your toes. So, uh, that's why I tell people it's not a matter of if you're going to turn over. It's a matter of when you're going to turn over. It's going to happen at some point. That's it. Yeah, and I got a buddy who self films, and he turned over, and uh, all his camera gear got got in the oh. truck. So he he probably had three thousand dollars worth of cameras and mics oh. and batteries and bells and whistles, and yeah, he was. He learned his lesson though. He got him a dry box and he got him a tether, and and then ever since, oh, yeah, he said, now watch, I, I bought it, that. and he said I'll never flip again. <laughs> I always get a dry box or something that I can put my cell phone watch. And because the one thing you don't want to lose is your cell phone and your car keys. You got to keep those somewhere in a dry box and tied to something. So you're going to find that when, if you were to turn over. That's it, man. I'm, I'm paranoid and I've never had an issue with it, but, but duck hunting, fishing, uh, just general beating around on the water. I always have my keys. I about won't buy a pair of pants without a zippered pocket. And, and that's always, but the first thing I do once I lock that car is put them keys in a zippered pocket because there's just, you're right. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter what happens. As long as you get back to your car and you got car keys, you can figure it out. But that's right. You can replace <laughs> that other stuff. <laughs> that's it. And I've, I've had some days uh, where that was about the only saving grace of that trip was the fact that I had me some car keys. I've had some, uh, I had a hunting trip several years ago where I actually had to swim the river. Got done at dark and my flashlight gave out. I couldn't find my boat, but I could see across the river. I could see the lights from the boat ramp. And I said, you know what? Heck with it. I'm, I'll come back, find the boat later. I'm going home. And uh, I did. I went home, got my stuff the next day. What What is fishing in those smaller bodies of water look like? I know that's going to be different than if somebody's up in the main, you know, main lakes and you know, Gunnersville, Lake Martin, Weiss Lake, stuff like that around the, the state. Well, what are you usually bringing? What are you throwing? And, and how is the fishing different in those little bodies of water? Well, most of the, like the smaller creeks and even the bigger rivers, you know, some larger rivers like the Cahaba and the Coosa, I like to focus on, and I, I guess just because over the years I've grown up fishing the Cahaba and the Coosa and a lot of creeks, I've learned to really fish current. And that's, I guess, if you want to, become a good creek fisherman or a river fisherman, you have to learn how that current is going to position fish. And at different times of the year, you know, wintertime is different than summertime. But uh, right now when it's really hot like this, the fish will lots of times will position, at least parts of the day, position in that current. They will be sitting in a seam or just outside the swiftest part of the current, watching for, you know, opportunistic type feeders that they are, watching for something to come by that they can dart in there and grab. So I may be a little different than some people. I like the water low. I like it hot in the summer. And you can actually, in some of these smaller creeks and the rivers, you can throw top water all day and catch, you know, whether you're fishing for spotted bass, largemouth, red eye. The largemouth aren't in the current as much as the spotted bass and the red eye bass are. And of course, every now and then you'll hook into a, a big stripe or hybrid in some of these creeks too. 
Um, but you can throw top water baits, buzz baits, even like a whopper plopper or chopo type bait. The smaller profile ones of those seem to work better in some of these creeks than the large ones because they're not feeding on giant shad. You know, they're feeding on darters and smaller minnow type baits or, you know, food sources. So um, you can catch them pretty much all day long on top water um, in those areas. And if, if the top water bite is not that great, then, or if it dies off and you can even go back through the same area that you just fish with top water and throw some smaller, like a, a worm I really like to use is like a dead ringer, a zoom dead ringer. You can get those little four inch curly tail or a, say a four inch finesse worm with the old trusty shaky head. You can throw that in those deeper little holes right below a shoal because everywhere there's a shoal, there's usually like a little deeper hole at the bottom of it. And sometimes there's a little deeper hole at the top and that push water before it goes over the shoal. In those kind of areas, throwing a shaky head or um, I like to rig mine sometimes on like just a, what you would call a split shot rig, put a split shot, a heavier split shot, say 12 inches above your hook, put that little dead ringer or a helgramite type creature bait or even just a little four-inch finesse worm on there, drop that in there, and usually within on the first drop or the first time you pick it up, they'll hit it. Um, those kind of things work really good on the creeks and in some of the rivers around here too. Awesome. Yeah, that that's good to hear about the uh, the all-day topwater bite. I know most people you talk to this time of the year, they tell you, you know, everybody wants that topwater bite if you're bass fishing. Like that's the, the pinnacle of the excitement, right, is when you're sitting there and, and you're twitching something across the surface of the water and you watch a bass just come up and it's like you dropped a cinder block in the water. And, uh, but, oh, yeah. but down here on, on big water, a lot of times, me personally, if I want to get that topwater bite, I'll go at night. Or, you know, most guys are going first thing, first 30 minutes, first hour in the morning. But yeah, if, if the water temperature is cooler and that water is shallower, you're you're absolutely right. They'll hit it all day uh, has been my experience. Yeah. Just in general, they they feed more aggressively in those smaller creeks. And I, I think, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I've always thought part of it, if you get up in a creek, it's not that there's less food, but in a way there is less food. Like you're not going to see up in these little creeks it's not going to be like you've got a school of thousands of shad yeah. right um, that's true. so okay. you've you've got smaller you know insects and stuff like that you've got some little local creek shiners and stuff like that but it generally seems like bass are hungry and and a, a big meal is a big opportunity for them would you well, agree and you can't go wrong up in these creeks with i agree completely with that you can't go wrong every creek it, probably every creek in Alabama and even lakes too, if you get into the shallower area, you're, there's one thing you're going to find that's consistent with all of them, and that's crawfish. You'll find crawfish in just about every creek, and most creeks in Alabama have helgramites. A lot of people may not be familiar with what that is, but it's a, a larva-type thing that becomes a dobson fly um, later on in its life when it develops. But it's like a like a little leech, long-looking. They're anywhere from little tiny one-inch ones up to about maybe four inches long before they become a Dobson fly. But so like a little small finesse worm or three inch, like a zoom speed crawl, those kind of things. Uh, you just can't go wrong fishing that type of stuff. And like I said, I like to put mine sometimes on like a split shot rig where the split shot drops to the bottom. Your The current will make that bait float up a little bit if it's a lighter bait like that. And they just, they can't resist that, whether it's a spotted bass or a red eye bass. They really like those types of presentations. Absolutely. Well, and that would that be your recommendation? We always try to look for, 
you know, timely tips for people who are wanting to go out this weekend. Is is now a good time to to be throwing something that's a crawfish or a Helgramite imitation, or is there another hot something right now? Yes, sir. I, that that's great. Uh, we just had a tournament um, last Friday, not this past Friday, and then the week before that we had one on Thursday night, and that's what I would catch. I would say I caught the majority of my fish on. I went this past Friday night and fish from. I think about 6.30 till about 9, and I caught 16, I think, 15 or 16 bass. And most of those were caught on like a zoom speed crawl like that, or early on uh, I'd caught several on a buzz bait. So um, those types of things, and find like in the middle of the day even too, um, in the areas where there's not a, say, you know, really a shoal, you find those shade lines along the bank because a lot of creeks, they have a tree overhang that, you know, so a lot of the shoreline is, shaded so those bass like to hold in those shade lines so throwing that buzz bait or something like that right along that shade line whopper plopper especially a smaller one or even like a pop r type bait that you can pop and let sit there for a minute um you can catch them all day long doing that type of thing this time of year well that's that's some awesome tips and and folks if y'all uh if y'all want to learn more um you've you've actually got your own facebook page don't you yes sir uh kayak fishing alabama really more of a like a photo dump but it is a page where i have went for years now i'll go and post pictures of fish that i've caught in places i've been uh, i don't normally name the creeks but i will post a lot of pictures of fish that can be called and sometimes i'll put like baits worked things like that so it would be helpful for some people i guess if they wanted to look around and see and it also gives you an idea of how small some of these creeks may be um and you may still be to catch some big fish in some of these small creeks and small rivers it is i was I, I was kind of scrolling through my lunch break here. I was I was looking at your page, and uh, it it does surprise me. A lot of times, you see you're holding up a real big fish, and you can see in the background that creek's not twenty feet across where you're at in it. So that's that's a, a really oh, that's fun right. fishing. <laughs> well, Joseph, that's my passion is fishing small flows. That that's it. Well, well, guys, y'all, uh, if y'all want to get out there and uh, beat the heat, get in some some cool streams here in this hot summer. Uh, Joseph is your guy to check out. So y'all go check out his page, Kayak Fishing Alabama. And uh, Joseph, I appreciate you being on the podcast with me today, sir. Yes, sir. Thank you very much. All right, guys, that's another awesome report. And it was brought to you by Hayabusa. Hayabusa provides the world with outstanding fishing hooks. Hayabusa is manufactured in Japan with technical designs, functionality, durability, and styles that customers who want to catch more fish demand. Hayabusa Fishing works tirelessly to provide the highest quality products manufactured and ensures current and prospective customers achieve a higher level of performance by using innovative products. From sabikis and saltwater hooks and jigs to freshwater hooks. See what they're all about at HayabusaFishing.com. All right, folks, that's going to wrap it up this week. If you're enjoying the podcast, please take a minute to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen. And if you'd like for us to email you the podcast, you can just text FISHING to 314-665-1767. Again, that's going to be FISHING at 314-665-1767. Subscribe to our email list and we'll send you the new show each week. This week's Alabama Freshwater Fishing Report has been brought to you by LM Marine. LM Marine has something for everyone, from small hunting boats to pontoons to bigger bay and hybrid boats for the hardcore angler. You can visit them at 34600 Highway 59 in Stapleton, Alabama, or give them a call at 251 937 1380. 
also brought to you by Southeastern Pond Management. Since 1989, Southeastern Pond Management has been a leader in pond and lake management services. Schedule an obligation-free consultation today. Call 1-888-830-POND or info at sepond.com. And by Dixie Supply Company. Baker Metalworks and Dixie Supply manufacture a variety of metal roofing systems to meet your needs. Whether you're putting a new roof on your home or sheeting a commercial building, they have you covered. Baker Metalworks and Dixie Supply, your metal roofing headquarters. Also brought to you by Killer Dock. Killer Dock combines durability, function, and design to uniquely upgrade your entire dock experience. Visit KillerDock.com to see more.